Hello and welcome to Shaman Sister Sessions, episode 39, where we are speaking about ancestry and joined by our dear sister, Tony Reynolds. I am Michelle Hawk. I'm here with Catherine Bird, and this is Shaman Sister Sessions. Our podcast was born out of mine and Kat's conversations over the years that we've known each other about shamanism, about spirituality, about what it means to be a practitioner in the world, and what it means to claim our spiritual practice on the personal levels and how that impacts society at large. Today, joined by Tony, I am so excited. Tony and I have been nerding out like crazy <laughs> over the last few days. She's visiting in town from Baltimore. And just to tell you a little bit about Tony, she is a spiritual scholar and devotee of truth, currently under some investigation as to exactly what the expression of that is. Uh, and yet she is a practice, practitioner of Jesus's teachings. She promotes the personal and community-wide expression of the authentic spiritual nature of humanity. She's doing some really amazing work in the world, uh, working um, she's traveled all over the world, uh, promoting spiritual empowerment, promoting investigation of these practices. She is an advocate of sovereignty and freedom for all beings, and she uses her platform as a speaker and a teacher to uplift and inspire her community to live the fullest expression of their divine nature. So please join me in welcoming Tony. Yay! Oh Tony, thank you so much for being here. I'm so happy that you're here. I know um, pretty much one of Michelle's all-time favorite things is just to sit and talk like with super spiritual, intelligent people <laughs> and to go deep on lots of topics. I'm sure that you two have had an amazing, it's been a while, it's been a few days, so I'm sure you've had an amazing time together. Yeah, it's been great. Thank you both for inviting me to join you in this conversation. I'm equally excited to nerd out about these kinds of things with people. So mm -hmm. it's good to be here with y'all. Mm -hmm. To give you a little bit of context, Tony and I met originally at Embrace Festival, yeah. which was back in May, the beginning of May, mm -hmm. right? And uh, that was the conference that we had our other sister, Deshna Ubeda, on as a guest several months ago to speak about the conference and about uh, social, wait, what was it? Sacred, Sacred community, community and social, social transformation. transformation. Yes. Okay. She paid us to say that. I'm kidding. <laughs> Stay tuned next year for Embrace 2018. Uh, she, well, we just had lunch with her yesterday, so it's fresh on our minds. Right. Um, but Tony and I met at that conference where we were both speaking, and I was so struck by not only by Tony's talk that she was giving on ancestry, actually, mm -hmm. but also by her presence and uh, and we've stayed in touch over the last few months and she came out uh, for a few days to visit. So it's wonderful to have her here. Mm -hmm. Good to be here. Yeah. That's so exciting. Um, so we have, uh, you know, we have a, a pretty big topic and <laughs> it's a very big topic. And one that I think that, um, you know, a, a lot of people are interested in. We're seeing a lot of interest in ancestry and 
people doing, I know my mom is always calling me with the latest like ancestry information that she's gotten off the internet about my family. And, uh, you know, people are having access to things that we didn't really necessarily have access to before. And, you know, we're doing DNA testing to find out where we came from. And we're doing all of this sort of individualized inquiry within ourselves through you know, our lineage, our blood relative DNA lines. And then we see a lot of us in the spiritual communities having these seeking into different, maybe the same lineages that we're coming from through our blood, but then also other lineages that we're researching and studying and, and learning about because we feel like we have a soul connection to specific ancestries. And we're doing ancestral healing and, and being called to do a lot of healing for our ancestors uh, as a collective and, and, and individually. So there's, there's, and there's so much more than even just that, like there's so much to this topic. So I think it's going to be up to us to try to <laughs> rein it in a little bit <laughs> and see like, what are the, what are the, the pieces that are of, um, great importance. I would love to hear a little bit about um, your story of maybe your ancestry and, and how this has become something that you've been really diving into and, and focused on in, in, in your personal and spiritual practices. Sure. Yeah, it's certainly a, a really wide topic that can go in a lot of directions. I am uh, not one of those folks who's gone the route of doing the DNA tests for my ancestral, uh, a part of the ancestral truth. I think for me, it's began with uh, being born to an interracial couple. So my mother is a white woman from the North in Maryland and my father's a black man from down South in Alabama. And they each have pieces of their own family ancestral stories and so when they come together and, and me and my sisters we have our own set of questions about how far back can we go what kinds of things can we know what kinds of things will remain a mystery um, and recognizing that there's some shared ancestry to the Cherokee tribe they both have some grandparents and great-grandparents uh, and so that began a world of inquiry for me and then I went to seminary where I studied um, New Testament scholarship, mostly live in the world of scripture that didn't make it into the Bible, particularly the Nag Hammadi collection that was found in Egypt in the 1940s. And in there sort of unlocked the, the set of questions about sort of faith ancestry. And here we have this whole corpus of scripture that never made it into the, the mainstream versions of um, the Christianity that's practiced often in the United States today. And so I felt like there are these pieces of our faith ancestry that didn't make it all the way over here. And that feels like an important place to play, to think about what new questions can we ask about who we are, about what the ancient world was like, what kinds of things made their way through um, the timeline and what things didn't and why, what that teaches us about blockages, um, there the importance of process and coming back around to certain messages on and on. Um, and then another, a third component of this constellation for me has been activity in my dream life. And um, 
I had a visit from Yemaya, who is an Orisha. An Orisha is, uh, for if folks don't know, um, kind of a deity of the Yoruba tradition, which is a tribe from Nigeria. And so the Yoruba tradition was brought to this side of the world on slave ships during the transatlantic slave trade. It's not by will, certainly. And the traditions has taken on different forms throughout the Americas from north to south, central to south, all of those places in between, and kind of manifested differently as the development of the colonial era made its impact on the African folks who were enslaved. And so I had no idea who Yemaya was until I had her in a dream. And then I saw her in a shop window and I went in and this whole thing began to unfold for me on a, a level I'd never really considered. I don't think I'd ever thought about a spiritual ancestry at that capacity, sort of like entities being able to visit and ask these things of us. And so um, for some folks that's old news, but for me at the time that was very new. And then because I have I don't have a full story of uh, who I come from. I was, I didn't know what to do with it and I'm still playing around with the best ways to honor this, this presence and this tradition that's come to me in a really surprising way. So those three constellations, a sort of social, contextual, familial way, um, general faith, ancestry, and then sort of spiritual, as you were alluding to, you, Kat, uh, Catherine, of like, um, the, the places where we're connected but maybe don't understand the direct genetic link to so yeah mm. absolutely yeah thank you for kind of outlining that uh, that constellation for us i love that word too because that's really how whenever we're looking into ancestry um cat as you were mentioning a couple of minutes ago you're talking about not only the genetic ancestry and where that comes from but also you know, Tony, as you mentioned, the faith ancestry, and then also, what are we being smacked over the head with by spirit mm -hmm. that we, you know, and then there's this whole other, um, you know, the whole other cultural appropriation topic, which is a, another episode in itself that we've talked about bits and pieces of here and there, where a lot of people have a lot of hangups and a lot of, you know, justifiably a lot of uncertainty around stepping into claiming whatever lineages want to be coming through as directed by spirit because it might be in conflict with the uh, the social mm -hmm. justice and the social uh socio-political and also the, the climate of um uh appropriate behavior as relating to other traditions so mm -hmm. this is definitely a really rich topic yeah yeah so it's, it's it's yeah it's it's super fascinating and what an amazing beautiful journey that you've had um we do have uh one uh quick question about the the women disciples are those part of the missing pieces of the bible and um there's a big yes there so uh very much so right um that that in your study we are missing right we're missing a lot of and then also when when you look at you know Africans being brought over and um, how much tradition was was lost. Um, one of the things I've been doing uh, some study into uh, this tradition because um, the ceremonies that I attend have a umbanda aspect and umbanda comes is sort of the the, the piece that came from Brazil to the Afro-Brazilian 
tradition and um, that, that it was interesting that some of these traditions were carried, were actually kept alive because Catholicism had all the saints and the different uh, uh, correspondences that, we, that the African traditions could kind of weave themselves into and sort of hide within. And, you know, in different Protestant countries and, and places, it, it wasn't as, as likely that those traditions survived. So it's, it's really fascinating that we as this melting pot of culture have so many different traditions feeding into us. And then also as Americans, there is also in some ways a generalized sense of lack of identity in a lot of ways that we don't a lot of us don't feel and, and that maybe we have as strong a connection to our lineages and our and our ancestry either maybe because they were stolen from us in the cases of our native people or Africans and different people who were brought here as indentured servants and and so on or because our ancestors sought assimilation and you know because that was what was safe, because that's how they could make money, that they completely, you know, um, left behind a lot of their, their traditions, religious and otherwise. Yeah, I, I want to say just a small bit about that question of women discipleship, just more directly. Yeah. So one of the most compelling portions in, re in regard to the ancestral conversation is the story of the acts of Paul and Thecla. So Thecla was a, a woman, a young woman, um, saint. Now she's a saint at the time. She was a, a regular young woman who was promised to be married. And so the story goes that Paul the Apostle, who we hear about in the Acts, that are, that's in the Protestant and Catholic Bible both, um, he was teaching as disciples do. And Thecla heard his teachings from the window of her house and was so entranced that she, the story says that she was in uh, like, catatonic state because she was so entranced with this message and um, so she confronts all of these different arranged marriages and things that women ought to do and she rejects them several times and escapes death several times and ended up finishing her life with this really incredible healing ministry and it was her story was so important that there are still um, churches that venerate Thecla so in modern day Turkey which is in a really tumultuous um, area the like war zones, lots of conflict, violent conflict. Um, there are cathedrals and entire communities that have remembered her, but many folks here in the United States have never heard of Thecla. And so just in one beautiful example, this woman who not justifies the sort of dogmatic understandings that women can't be in leadership positions in any Judeo, like in many of the Judeo-Christian pockets, Thecla not only as a woman, denying these societal expectations of women, but she also baptizes herself and claims her divine authority as a woman of God and a healer in the world. And so in terms of legacy and, um, and ancestry, like that's one example that you can, you can see just in the brief summary how that, that story is a bit threatening to the controlling nature that many of us have been wounded by um, if we were born into families that practice some version of, of a limited Christian understanding of the role of women. Um, so yeah, the women discipleships are a great example of a story lost, but, but being resurrected. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> yeah, good question. Thank you.
Yeah, let's um, let's delve a little bit into you know some of these different pieces of the constellation, right? Because and this is true for all of us here. So you know we'll and we'll be sharing some of our stories and investigations. But so like the first one that you mentioned is the um, like the social aspect of ancestry. And so all of us, you know, whether or not you've had the uh, the DNA testing or had gone through Ancestry.com, I haven't done either of those things because frankly, it kind of skeezes me out a little bit. I'm like, no, you didn't get to have my DNA. Yeah, no, thank you, government. I feel weird about that. Like, what are you doing with it after you? I exactly, right? As a, yeah, I have all sorts of um, resumes. So, uh, so that's... The best I have in terms of uh, defined knowledge around that is um, stories from my parents around their ancestry. And then also I have an uncle who is very into looking at the, um, you know, mapping the lineage. So he was able to map, and this is on my mother's side of the family, he was able to map my mother's side of the family for, you know, back to, I don't even know how far. So he, you know, he likes that kind of stuff. He did some research around it. So I've been able to look at um, some interesting patterns and then also some gray areas mm -hmm. in at least that one half of my personal ancestry. And I'm kind of curious, you know, what, uh, and I know that that's kind of brought up some stuff for me about like, ooh, yeah, there's some really icky stuff in there. Like I know those people came over with, you know, not necessarily the best of intentions and then also looking at the um different history of different um climates of what was going on in the time and the, the depression more recently and yeah mm -hmm. so i'm kind of curious what has come out of that investigation for you on the social front yeah that's mm -hmm. a that's great actually the first thing that comes to mind is uh a warning to not romanticize an exploration of mm -hmm. our ancestral realities i think um for many of us it's easy to be of a mindset where we only want what's great and fantastic about our stories. And, and of course, of course, we want to celebrate the beautiful things that have been lost. But there's some, some wisdom to be gleaned from reckoning with the fact that our ancestors had flesh and lived human lives and maybe were stubborn or mean or greedy or whatever kinds of things humans can be. Like all of these things are true. Mm -hmm. Violent. Violent, yeah. yeah. And so there's, there's, some, there's a real way that depending on maybe the entry one takes into exploring their ancestral uh, realities that those kinds of things come up. And I think it's important to just say that those are, those are valuable tools for coming to an understanding and for doing the work of finishing the, the, the desires of our ancestors in a healthy way that benefits everyone, despite any shortcomings that may have, have existed for them when they walked with mm -hmm. us. Um, I think for me, the, yeah, the gray areas are really fun and frustrating. <laughs> I find myself um, really leaning on spiritual tools to explore those areas. I've, it's very easy for me to feel angry and um, I don't want to harbor bitterness, but I mean, I really feel a way about the fact that um, in, in two ways, there, there are two different groups of people who just on this land have been robbed of of roots, of language, of song, of, of, of full life. And um, some days that resonates more powerfully in my bones and can make it a real challenge in my, um, in my interactions with uh, real, real people. And so um, in my own explorations, I think having a spiritual practice that's rooted in um, a very particular set of values 
and and an actual practice of having people who can help hold me when I'm not in the spiritual spaces of prayer or whatever exploration is really helpful. Um, were there, was there something else you were, did I, I, don't, I don't know if I answered your question in a way that's sure what just, you had on your heart. Or oh, something. no, that's okay. okay. I mean, it's, I, I like stories and this mm -hmm. is one of the things mm -hmm. that I know um, Kat and I are storytellers, definitely. So um, yeah, Kat, how about you? Oh gosh, I've had some really interesting, um, my mother has gotten really interested, interested in, you know, the ancestry and stuff. And so she, um, she's been doing lots of research over the last couple of years on my, you know, on the ground ancestry. And it's, it's, it's brought up a lot of things actually that I've then been able to bring into ceremonial experiences and to healing sessions to be able to actually heal and work on for myself where I can feel that I'm still holding um, some of these uh, old belief systems and patterns and judgments and um, even punishments uh, that are being held within my lineage. Uh, I have I have a I have a couple of interesting stories. So my people have been here for a long time on three sides of my family, both sides of my mother's and the one side of my father. They've been here since the the 15 and 1600s. So they were early adopters of the American way and sort of uh, warrior people. Like in every war, my people were there fighting. They didn't really care, I think, even who they were fighting for. They were just fighters. And, um, you know, won accommodations with General Washington and, and were just scrappers. And and like, okay, let's, let's go west and see what we can take. And like, you know, just, it's, you know, some of that stuff was really hard to really come to terms with where they were and who they were. And um, I had, um, I have a dear friend, I'm sure she won't mind me telling the story, but I have a dear friend who actually was a client and we worked on a lot on her reopening her magic. She came to me and was like, she opened up her magic through our work together. And she had called me a while back and said, hey, I found out this cool thing about my ancestry. I'm not sure if it's that cool, but my, my ancestor was the first witch who was killed in Salem. And I was like, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> and then a few months down the road, my mom messages me and is like, you know, we had these ancestors in Salem, Massachusetts around the time of the witch trials. And I was like, that's interesting. And then she actually finds recently, a few months ago, that uh, she found these court documents where the two sisters had actually accused and signed testimony against the first witch who was killed in Salem. And so uh, this month I took some time off and one of the things that I did in my time off was actually I drove to my friends and we went to the Redwood Forest together. She had no idea what we were doing there, but I was like, I need to do something with you. Mm -hmm. And we opened up a ceremonial space and um, did a, a healing and forgiveness ceremony for uh, our lineages to ask for forgiveness and for this, you know, this wrong and to open up any, any um, energies that have been held and contained because of that, um, of, of that thing that had happened and had a powerful ceremony and um was it was 
it was very powerful and super profound. And it, it, I think goes to show in some ways how we are drawn into experiences with each other that maybe we don't really know the full story and depth behind what the, you know, what the, the weaving is for our relationships that we have with each other. Um, and, you know, she shared with me about how much that I had, you know, changed her life and allowing her to be magic and allowing her to open up her magical, mystical, witchy self. And that I was often this sort of lighthouse that when she felt like, okay, things aren't, 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 um, you know, maybe things are feeling a little bit stuffy. She'd be like, well, cats out there doing this magic. Like I can be magic too. And, um, you know, it's, it's, I was like, okay, that's, that's a, that's a fascinating story that we would, we would come across each other in, you know, Los Angeles, California, uh, hundreds of years later in order to be able to have that experience together and to go through a healing process together, which is this, my recent story of something that just happened. <laughs> wow. That's amazing. Yeah. Wow. Right. You're bringing up a really important point, Kat, is about the healing of the lineages and the healing of the, uh, and our relationship with the ancestors. So as we're, um, you know, Tony, one of the words that I've noticed you using a lot over the last few days is reckoning. And I love it. I love it. You know, we have to reckon with whatever it is that, um, you know, rather than beating ourselves up, there's that tendency too. like when we find these things out, it's yeah. like, oh, my gosh, I must atone for my ancestors. Yeah. And I, I mean, what a that's that story you just told cat illustrates that so beautifully and actually what i'm i'm hearing the voice of a friend from some time ago say like the world of the ancestors is in our hands and equally mm -hmm. i feel like we are in their palms the same that you two meeting each other is also the work of the, the of the ancestors who are present in that in that moment of conflict so i'm bringing things back to a place where it can be be redeemed and 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 brought to a right relationship of sorts. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, that's. I think I, I wonder about this a lot. We've been having conversations about the current political climate and uh, the reality of race tensions in this country. Um, not just like black to white, but everyone to everyone. <laughs> like, like like ethnic and racial identity is really potent force right now. And um, I wonder about this in relationship to a lot of white guilt and this feeling that mm -hmm. that people who are walking now are directly responsible for these old, old wounds that are still, there's a lot of residual of them. Mm -hmm. And and so that's part of why for me this conversation is so important that there's a way to make enough space for people to recognize that we are not the ones making the wounds, but but we do have a role to play in acknowledging and making things right. Mm -hmm. Er, writer, um, you know, like and, and so whatever kind of gestures we can offer to do that is important for for this. Where is our responsibility, and where is it not, and how do we mm -hmm. line ourselves up with things and hold it all together? Yeah, and yeah. You know, as someone, I was raised in Texas. My mother's a, a social worker. I was very 
a liberal and there was a certain amount of white guilt, especially my mom holds a lot of, of guilt around, um, you know, what white people have done. And, um, so that was, she was always very, very vocal about social justice stuff and, and really letting, you know, letting me know what was right and what was wrong in Texas, where what was wrong was often what was typical. And, um, you know, coming back to like the story I just told, you know, we're seeing all of this stuff coming together, but you know, how, how much of this rising up of, you know, racial tension <clears throat> are our ancestors actually saying, you know, you actually haven't dealt with this. You haven't actually done the work. We're going to bring you together to do this work. You have an opportunity to do this, this work of healing and forgiveness and, um, you know, honoring and everything that needs to happen in order for us to move forward as a society on the right foot. And maybe we're not seeing it clearly enough to be able to um, navigate it in a way that, uh, you know, is, is as helpful as, as it should be, but we're kind of like being thrown together one more time. Like, okay, just like, you really have to figure this out and deal with it. We can't just pretend that it doesn't exist. Like, I think that we have been in recent years, like, we'll just act like it's not there. Yeah. We did an episode uh, a little while ago about soul contracts and agreements. Mm. And I don't remember which one that was specifically, but for those of you watching and listening in, you may want to go back and, uh, and tune in about that because we did talk about um, now is a time and something. this is something that Tony and I have also spoken about uh, a couple of times over the last few days. Now is a time that we have more energy coming to the planet than ever before more light workers embodied on the planet than ever before more people who are coming in with awakening to their gifts than ever before so the potential for that healing it's like there's this quantum level of energy that is now present to enable that kind of healing to enable not only the personal healing and like okay so me and my stuff and um, from person to person and, and whatever interrelational stuff like on the, the micro level, but on the macro level too. So now is, uh, it makes so much sense to me in so many ways that it's like the bubbling to the surface, right? It's the wound is pussing up to be popped. Yeah. And because there is so much energy available and, and I love the, um, you know, the perspective, like you were saying about being held in the palm of the hand of the ancestors of like, okay, we're holding you like, you know, they don't want to hold on to these contracts anymore either. Right. It's like, nobody wins when we're holding on to these contracts of Amen. violence. Amen. Right. And so it's, we are supported. We are really supported. And, um, and so then you're talking about the, um, the white guilt aspect. And we were talking when we had lunch with Deshna yesterday, we were talking about, um, you know, this relating to minorities in all ways, you know, and the um, the sexual identity spectrum and et cetera, et cetera. It's all related. And how um, how there's that place of like, okay, then we move beyond that to the actual, like, how can we be constructive in the healing and supporting and empowerment of all beings? Mm -hmm. And that's where we're, we're getting there. We are. We are. We're getting yeah. there. Because we can be, we're held by the ancestors and then we also have free will. 
right? Mm -hmm. So we get to be, here's your situation. It's super uncomfortable. And now what are you going to do? <laughs> we did what we did and this is where we were now. You guys have more choices. Um, yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. That's yeah. I'm, I'm curious also to delve into the, um, how this is informing, um, especially the investigation of these ancestral practices that may have been partially lost or partially concealed or assimilated or, uh, you know, or hidden, right? And how is that coming forward? And how can we strengthen that connection with the ancestors in a really healthy way to empower ourselves and empower the people around us and empower the traditions themselves while also helping keep it relevant to the modern context that we live in. So I'm, I'm feeling a lot of, um, Ellen Craft is a woman who is, whose story is not told very often. And so I'm, and I'm always thinking about, um, things in the, in the social sphere. And okay. I, I know you all are too, but immediately I'm like, oh, this is a great example of that. Exactly. Yeah. So Ellen Craft was a woman born to an enslaved mother who was raped by the, her slave owner. So she was very fair complected and she, she passed for white um, so much so that the slave master's wife sold her off because she was sick and tired of people recognizing her and thinking she was a member of the family when she was really just a Negro slave. And so Ellen ended up marrying an enslaved man as well, who was not fair complected, like he was visibly, obviously an enslaved man. And they escaped to freedom by Ellen dressing up like she had had dental surgery and cutting her hair short and she wrapped her arm in a sling. And so she needed her uh, husband to do all of her bidding. So she posed as the slave owner and he as her slave and they escaped from Georgia all the way up to Boston, and they became this poster story for the abolitionist movement, um, and this simultaneously fueled the pro-slavery agenda, say like, this this Negro woman fooled all of these people for thousands of miles. No one, no one knew that she was really a Negro woman, um, but she took, she took on that the role of white slave master and rode them both to freedom, and that story is an example like telling that she's she's very much asking a lot of me and one of the things that i think she's asking to do exactly what you said is to tell the story to tell the stories to get the information mm -hmm. out i think what's powerful about stories is that they hit us on all of the levels at the same time and so there are things that we can end up doing with them in our individual practices or in collective spaces and so for example for me as a as a black mixed woman this story of a mixed race woman way back when in our history having this really phenomenal moment moment that challenges race that challenges gender that challenges notions of enslavement is a really incredible symbol of that that I like I like I want to wear that power and find mm -hmm. compassionate ways to employ that in the world and so I'm in terms of spiritual practice there are things but also societally in terms of re-remembering history in very real ways mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of Facebook videos about in this in this movement of just tearing down the Confederate monuments of um, folks who owned, I mean, like all kinds of stories that just haven't been told about the reality of different groups of people um, that get hard to 
to fit into our history books as they seem to be getting narrower and narrower in, in, in story. So, so one, I think that's one way, like if there's a, if there's a historical preference that one has mm -hmm. or societal, uh, like a, like a platform of you're speaking about earlier, if it's animals, if it's, if it's young girls, if it's education, like there, those are pulls for a reason. And those are ways to line up the spiritual call to the societal level to instigate this movement um, so that it manifests on more than one level. I think that's, yeah, it's a beautiful story, you know, and it's, you know, how, how, how do we actually relate to one another, right? Is that, you know, through these stories, and, and I think you're right that there have been, because of the tensions and the monuments and, and these different things, there have been a lot of stories that have been, you know, told recently that unless you went to university and you took a specific course where you were getting this kind of information, you are definitely do not, have not had access to it and, and unless you've done really gone out of your way to to learn this stuff because it's not what's being taught in um our school systems in america um you know we're we are seeing less and less um of you know kind of real history being taught and um it is up to us right to to tell these stories and the stories that, you know, I, I've been seeing a lot of stories about, you know, just, just the, you know, the atrocities that we as the American government or American people have, have subjugated onto different um, races and people in our native, our native people of, of this country that we didn't have even have access to those stories really for such a long time. Mm-hmm. There's a lot that is certainly swept under the rug. Um, I want to mention Germany, for example, because I think this is a, uh, and specifically what they've done over the last, you know, couple of decades around education of the young people in regards to the Holocaust. I think this is perhaps slightly a bit far in the other direction because I know of, I know personally, and then I know also of other people who, um, you know, people our age who were educated from the, a very young age about the Holocaust in a super shaming way, like super shamey. It's like, you know, never do this again. We were evil and this was horrible and, you know, bad, 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 bad. To the point where um, I actually, this is the strongest example. I don't have it as a firsthand story, but a friend of mine told me this story um, of the most extreme example of internalizing that guilt that I've heard where, uh, so my friend went on a birthright trip to Israel. And so she was uh, exploring her roots in Judaism and, um, and speaking with, uh, you know, doing a lot of religious investigation and personal investigation and, um, and study group of scripture, et cetera. And so she, in this particular group, she happened to meet someone traveling who was a German woman of, about our age, who was just happened to be traveling through Israel and they invited her, you know, they headed off. So they invited her to this study group just as a, a point of personal investigation. And this young woman was, uh, and it was just a very open, non-judgmental conversation that happened to include because of what they happened to be studying that time around the suffering of the Jewish people. And, um, 
and of course, you know, somebody brought up the Holocaust and it's, again, it's like a very open, like comfortable environment. And yet this woman was in tears, shaking violently in this room of gently conversing people talking about a historical event with not really any emotional charge. And yet from a very young age, she had been so fiercely educated with shame about this is the wrong thing to do. So I think somewhere in between those might be the, the ideal way to be really telling the stories of our ancestors in an empowering way, as opposed to bad people. I, I heard a podcast mm -hmm. too, the folks who were sterilizing themselves because they were worried that the genes oh of the Nazi soldiers would potentially carry on and be an impetus for a second type of, so, so even a little further <sighs> more of like, wow. I don't want, I don't want my legacy to continue and, and just a, a really firm grip that that is one's legacy to do that kind of wrong and, and violence to others. So mm -hmm. yeah, I think, I mean, oh, I just keep hearing like earlier in the conversation in this help being held moment that this is so possible. And I think for me and my work with anti-racism uh, programming in, in the ways that I've done it so far is that it's often a really overwhelming thing that like, we're never going to get there. It's like, like we can never end patriarchy. We can never end bills of capitalism. We can never end bills of racism, but it's possible. It's so possible to do like, these are ideas in the same way that I have, might have the idea of lack, but I don't have enough, like that idea can be shifted. Mm -hmm. And these ideas that certain folks don't deserve to be fully empowered and free can be shifted. And so there's a, yeah, that, that is the like guiding, <laughs> that's the fuel. How do we do this in a way that recognizes the capability of this? Mm -hmm. of this task yeah we can do this um so i i do want to make sure that we touch a little bit on our our spiritual lineages and um how we see all over the place um, people embracing and diving deeply into study into um oh great because here we, we just as she's asking the question here we go how do we integrate our spiritual ancestral lineages that we know of into something as socially acceptable because this is really coming up for healers and teachers and there's a fine line and that's true and so that's what i want to talk about is that we we see ourselves like is some of us are very you know like white people okay i'm Tibetan Buddhism, I'm there, like I am in it 100%, or, um, you know, different people who are studying these different religious traditions that looking at them or even looking at their, their lineage on Ancestry.com, you would say, that doesn't make any sense. What are you doing in that sweat lodge? This, you know, you, you don't have a right to be taking these medicines you don't have a right to be singing these songs these are not your songs of your people that you've suffered for these songs and yet there are many people who express this internal feeling like that song means something to me um like that ceremony means something to me i don't know why it means something to me I can't really quite figure that part out maybe, but there is something so deep inside of me that I, I can't turn away from it. I, I feel like this is my, this is my path and it, it feels important. And for a lot of uh, sort of in the new age spiritual communities, we see this and 
there can be a lot of suffering, um, both on the terms of the person who is having that experience of, I really want to engage in this spiritual practice. And then also from the people who more own the lineage through their birthright, suffering over the fact that this person seems like we've suffered so much and this person seems like they're just going to show up with all their privilege and be able to take over our thing. So how do we navigate this part of our spiritual, our spiritual lineage? Um, you know, so much, so many of us are in this place. We don't That's know. That's a great question. <laughs> We're all jumping <laughs> at once. All of them, we still don't know. Right. This is something that I think all of us have had some degree of experience with, of like, what is, and, um, and we have talked about this somewhat in, uh, in certain episodes, you know, we haven't really gotten quite to the meat of it there because I think part of it is that it is an ongoing investigation. Mm -hmm. And the thing that I keep coming back to as a relatively simplified version of these hours and hours and hours that I spend thinking about and pondering and praying about, you know, what do I do in this regard is, um, ultimately summed up by, I know who I am, I know what I am, I know how I serve, and my ultimate accountability is to spirit. So if, uh, and I went through all of this, for example, I mean, Kat, you had a front seat to this a, a few years ago when I was going through the, do I get to call myself a shaman investigation, where, you know, because that is a, a loaded term in a lot of ways, people associate with shaman equals Native American, and like, no, it doesn't, first of all, mm -hmm. um, that, you know, very first, that word is a something that it was made up by anthropologists. That word itself has no connection really to any specific group of people. And yet, um, you know, there are these practices that are really similar across uh, many traditions, or I would say many or most traditions and cultures, um, you know, it's like the earliest spiritual practices, right? So I have co since come to terms with it. And yet years ago, when I was thinking about this, for example, it was eating me up of like, am I contributing to persecution of particularly the Native people, um, Native Americans, because that's where a lot of that emotional charge lies. Am I using my privilege in a way that is hurting people? Am I denying somebody something? Am I being out of integrity? So no, 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 I'm not going to call myself a shaman out of this. And it was really fear-based. Ultimately, it was deeply fear-based of will I cause harm or am I causing harm? And I'm unwilling to do that. And finally, the, the kicker for me was basically spirit did the equivalent of slapping me in the face and said, look, we're telling you that you're a shaman. Start calling yourself a shaman. Start doing it. And once I did, it was really amazing the shifts that took place in my life and my lived experience that very much confirmed for me that it was the right thing to do. And because ultimately I was able to step beyond the fear that I held, the fear for, um, you know, being out of integrity, fear for causing harm, fear for also some personal anxiety about being attacked. Quite frankly, that was there too, of like, are people going to be jumping on me because I'm calling myself a shaman and oh shit, that I don't want to deal with that, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and yet it was one of the most powerful things that I've ever done that's one piece of this, I think, you know, one piece around the ancestry, but that's very much a part of my soul ancestry mm -hmm. that involves me claiming that. Yeah. yeah. I think there's also something to say for, 
um, finding a way to balance those fears that come up. So for me, and I've had this conversation with Michelle since I, since I met you in May, uh, the way that I talk about Yemaya and other Orishas sometimes feels like that's, it's, it feels that that same area. I'm not initiated as a priestess in the tradition or any iteration of the tradition. So I, I feel like I have a boundary and I'm okay with that boundary. I think one of the things that motivates that that concern, that sort of, am I appropriating? Is this an integrity? Um, for me, points me exactly to what am I or what am I not doing with the communities who do have roots in that tradition. So I would feel differently if I had a Yoruba community with whom I could practice and be and practice my integrity in the flesh with. I would feel then differently about how I, and I would, I think I would have much better guidance and certainty about how to navigate the, la the language I use, the way I implement the practices that have been, been informed by it, even if, as they've come from Yemaya herself. And so, so that's one thing is sort of, if, if I'm informed by Native American tradition, am I in community with the, with the particular peoples from whom I draw life and nourishment? If I'm not, what can I be doing to support and, and ameliorate the suffering that they are inevitably experiencing in a system that's designed to destroy them. Mm -hmm. And so if there's a way that you can participate in balancing that out, I think that can be helpful for negotiating what things we can and can't say as folks who don't have an, an, obviously, an obvious connection to the things. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, and the other thing is is to be careful about the role we let shame and fear play in in this in this life of of figuring those things out. Um, I think what I want to say is that often these things are about witness. So while as informed as I am by traditions that I don't I don't know if I have a genetic tie to, I certainly don't have a cultural tie to because. I was raised by two folks who served in the U.S. Army, so like our culture was the five of us wherever we went. Like it wasn't, it was never a powwow despite our Cherokee blood. It was never, you know, anything African despite my dad being an African American man. It was us, and so um, I think in a lot of ways, some of these spiritual pulls are an, a request to witness, to witness the power, to witness the beauty, to witness the mystery of figuring of of the fact that you do feel these connections and have no way to explain it and no way to talk about it. And I think that's okay. Like there's a lot of power in just seeing a person, seeing a community, seeing a practice as, as it is and being able to say to others, this thing gives me life. And I, as someone and like name your limits name, like I named the fact that I'm not an initiate. And so that governs what I am and I'm not, able to say and do and that kind of authenticity in and of itself to me helps write some of the harm that we think might happen if we just show up and start doing a thing mm -hmm. so I think being honest about the limits that we observe in our own work and also being willing to just sit and do nothing but witness we don't have to do a lot just be a witness to the things that show up that call you that continue to come to you yeah that's that's amazing and beautiful advice <laughs> you know and and really so helpful we're all we're all trying to figure this out right and um to be an honor and integrity around around all of it which which is in some cases is just very challenging mm -hmm. 
I want to address uh, an important component that I feel is related to all of this is, uh, and something that we've been talking about again, we, you know, we've had variations of these conversations over the last few days. So I'm, we're all supercharged of it and we're all full of, well, what about this thing? What about this thing? Mm -hmm. uh, one of the things that it feels, um, I'm not sure exactly what to do about it, but it feels really important to talk about service to the lineage itself as opposed to service to spirit, right? And this is across the board in any tradition, you know, Tony and I have had this conversation in regards to um, for example, classes and be initiated into Reiki one and two. So yay for a new Reiki practitioner right here. <laughs> yay! Um, and you know, Reiki is something that I have been initiated into. I have been uh, studying for years and teaching for years. And yet, I'm not Japanese. It's a Japanese tradition, and so the way that I teach it is informed by the way that I was taught. Um, and the way that I was taught was also not. By a Japanese person. She was a, a white American uh, person who taught in a very old school way. Like she was, you know, very adherent to the way in which um, Reiki was, uh, has been taught for, um, you know, since it came to the Western Hemisphere with Hawaii Takata and honoring that lineage. But also ultimately, I've been looking at the way that my own personal practice to Reiki has changed and my relationship with Reiki has changed over the years, because this is the thing that I have the most definitive grounded connection to a lineage um, that I pr have practiced for the longest amount of time. So that's the easiest for me to cotton onto. And I look at initially when I was attuned to Reiki and I was trained in Reiki in 2006, I uh, remained very adherent to this is the way that it is done. This is how um, Reiki came to the United States from Japan directly, brought by Hawaii Takata. And even though um, she was known for burying her story that she was telling wherever she went to make it acceptable to people, especially during that time, right? Right? Exactly. So, you know, in particularly in Eastern tradition, um, telling the story for the audience rather than the Western understanding of this is the absolute truth, the empirical truth. It's like truth is a relative term. Truth is a relative thing. So here she was, a Japanese American woman who had to hide among the Filipino community during World War II so she wouldn't be killed in an internment camp, right? And so that's how Reiki survived in the United States. So looking at that lineage, that lineage that does hold suffering, that holds the, um, the energy of that persecution, and I look at what is my loyalty to that particular lineage and also what is my loyalty to my service to spirit as a spiritual leader in my community. And as a result of that, of sitting with this for years, I've shifted around a little bit where, yes, I am loyal to Reiki as a practice and I do still teach Reiki um, not exactly in the same way that I was taught. And yet I feel completely integrous about it because this particular practice, because A, I'm acknowledging that to my students of you're not learning Reiki Alliance Reiki. You're not learning the old school version of Reiki. You're learning based on my years and years of doing this every single day and my commitment to my practice. This is the best way that I know how to teach and empower you. Also honoring this lineage and giving 
dear respect and reverence to this lineage and ultimately giving you empowerment to claim who you are in your direct relationship service to spirit as a divine embodied being. And that's ultimately what I've come to terms with for myself of how can I be in highest integrity to spirit and to doing my job as a light worker here on earth while holding on to that the strength of that lineage and all of that amazing service that that lineage has offered me and not detracting from it at all and actually i'm you've said this to me sometime this weekend but it's also and it has its own set of questions i'm sure if you go deeper yeah. but that sounds like an embodiment of what the initial teacher of not the uh how do you say her name the woman hawaii takata hawaii takata and the fact mm -hmm. that she would tell the story to the audience is also what you do and and so in a way mm -hmm. you are you are demonstrating a loyalty to the legacy by doing what she what she did mm. in the initiation of the practice mm. and back to the the woman discipleship thing in the gospel of mary jesus has died and the disciples are hiding out because they're, they're coming for for this group of folks who are part of the jesus movement and they're they're scared and they say to mary mary jesus loved you best surely he gave you special teachings tell us what he taught you and it's a fragmented text that survived but mary goes through this teaching and at the end of it she remains silent and if you read the text from like one level above the actual text you realize that she's embodying the teaching that she's giving while she's giving it mm. and so she may she may have altered it for the moment because here they are in a moment of crisis but regardless of the fact she's embodied the teaching and put it into flesh and so there's a there's a way that you can do both at the same time mm -hmm. without skewing the teaching for the lineage or the lineage for the teaching mm. yeah because when we look at amazing teachers amazing masters of of spiritual teaching you know, they speak in allegory and stories and um, things change based on, you know, the inspiration of the moment of the person asking the question as to what the story that's being told to offer the, the, um, the wisdom. And that only comes, I, I think, through this embodied owning the owning the wisdom like you really have to own the wisdom in order to explain it in a hundred different ways and it's still to ring true for different people yeah of a good teacher mm. yeah go ahead girl <laughs> <laughs> yeah I hope you have you go ahead all right yeah <laughs> yeah i think um i also want to this uh i get really fired up about this because it's the evolving nature of our relationship to spiritual practice that's another mm -hmm. thing too where yes we're talking mm -hmm. about ancestry and we can investigate our ancestry and honor our ancestors and yet to i do also believe that to practice and adhere to the rigidity of certain rituals and certain ways of being and it, we can do too much of that. That's my point. It's like, if we're doing it only that way and we're, you know, there's so much, again, I, that rigidity, that dogma, that's the word I want to use. It's like, as long as we're, if we're treating it, <laughs> right, I know. Um, if we're <laughs> looking at it with this dogmatic view of, okay, well, this is the way that you do this tradition and this is the only way that you do this tradition, then it, that's paralyzing. It is ultimately paralyzing for we are, are are a continually evolving society and you know continually 
changing in our personal way of being, our interrelational way of being, the way that we relate to other people, and the way that we're relating to the planet and to each other as a global community. So I think it is maybe short-sighted isn't quite the right term. Maybe it is. Maybe it is the right term. Yes. Yeah, and inauthentic. Yeah. No tradition has ever remained stagnant. No. I mean, our, so refusal to evolve our spiritual traditions is something that is still getting us into a heap of trouble all over the world because if we would allow that books that were written a long time ago well maybe we need to maybe look at things a little bit differently based on where the world is now that women have certain rights and uh different cultures and different religions are equal they're not people that should be you know uh exterminated then we would have a much different world and, and society. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we're, I guess, on the forefront in a lot of ways of how do we navigate these two pieces of holding on to, to, to tradition and what we've learned and also incorporating what's new and incorporating what's possible because we, like you said, we have access to so much more spiritual energy right now. We have access to so many lineages of wisdom from all over the world. We can, we can sit down and learn about every single religion of the entire planet pretty much. And gain all of this knowledge and wisdom and, and practice these different um, modalities. And so we have the ability to shift and, and evolve very rapidly. But we're not going to if we put the brakes on and go, no, we're not going to allow for any new anything. Nothing new here. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I think that's where that, um, uh, I don't, they certainly don't oppose each other inherently, you know, the investigation of, um, you know, so the genetic ancestry and the spiritual ancestry and, you know, they are in no way opposed to each other. And yet I feel as though there's, there might be a little bit of a tendency to have them mutually exclude each other, you know, so this is where I think we're circling back around to in investigating the social aspects of the ancestry. Okay, well, as long as I hold on to my ancestors did this horrible thing to this group of people and, you know, did this horrible thing to this particular person, you know, and they were responsible for setting off the Salem witch trials. Like as long as we're holding on to that, then it's, um, it doesn't create space, you know, and, and maintaining the rigidity of, well, that's the lineage I'm connected to. So like, peace out, I'm screwed. You know, it's like, like I, you know, mm -hmm. and, but, and yet of course there's so much magic in, in any lineage. Um, but we're really shooting ourselves in the foot if we don't also integrate the, um, uh, you know, the other layers there, the intuitive investigation of how our, we working in service to spirit as beings who have been embodied in different ancestries and different lineages. That's the other thing. And mm -hmm. right. We've all been here before. We've all done lots of different lives and lots of different places. We've all suffered. And I know that we all haven't all suffered the same amount in this lifetime. And, and we have different privilege based on what we look like and where we grew up and how much money we have and all of those things. And still, for most of us that have these 
you know, memories and we have visions and we have knowings. And, you know, for me, a lot of my work, um, I wasn't, I wasn't, um, I didn't have access to these traditions. I didn't have access to these things. You know, I, I grew up in Texas suburban. I moved to New York city. I lived in Los Angeles. When I had my spiritual awakening, it was ridiculous because all of this insane stuff was happening to me and my body and, and the way that I would do, you know, the healing work would move through me. I had never seen it before. And then, you know, people would be like, why do you, you know, I've, I've had different people throughout time be like, why do you do that thing? Like what, why do you do that? Cause I've never seen that before, except, you know, in this tribe and, you know, this faraway place that doesn't make any sense. And, um, so I've had to like almost reverse engineer to look at, okay, well these things, and then this person says this, and then, well, this is kind of reminds me of this and, oh, I'm having this memory or I'm having this dream. I'm having this vision. Okay. When was that? What does it look like? Where does it come from? So what is that tradition? What does that tradition look like? And how is that connected to me? And why do I feel resonance with that? So it's, it's almost like I'm, I've been um, playing a, a game of, of like this, this very bizarre, um, you know, mystery game of clues, <laughs> trying to figure out what the hell am I? What, what am I doing? Who am I? Where am I coming from? It doesn't seem to match the, the story that I'm being told by Ancestry.com. <laughs> Yeah. But in some ways it does. There's also stories of, of midwives and, and healers and witches in, in my lineage that are gypsy people and the aroma and, and stuff like that. So people who do have those traditions, but we're, we're, we're all doing something new somehow. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm. So it's, after one and we want to be good on time. Um, so usually we like to, to wrap up with some, we've, we've already given some nice tools for people to work with on both, you know, connecting with, you know, if you are connecting to something, really being in community with that culture and finding those, you know, those ways of, of being in service to those that, um, maybe have been holding this tradition for you. Like they've been holding this tradition for you this whole time. Now you're showing up, you have a connection. Okay. How are you going to honor the people who've been holding it? Um, but how else are we, are we looking to maybe dive into our own ancestral lineages in these, in these different regards and maybe do some healing work around these things? and um you know be able to step into more of our authentic expression through this you know ancestral work mm -hmm. lots of ways lots of ways okay let's yeah, let's I was just kind of spinning around a little bit this is a, you know a lot of good amazing food for thought um i think I want to, it feels really important, first of all, to, um, okay, I have to tell another story in order to give context <laughs> to this, okay. uh, this particular piece of advice. I was telling, uh, and Kat, I think I told you about this when it happened because I was so angry. 
about it. Um, and I don't remember if I've told <laughs> if I've told this uh, particular story on our show before, and I did tell Tony about it because it was relevant to a previous discussion. This lecture that I attended back in February. Right. I, I know. I'm angry about it too. <laughs> right. Face my twist at your time. That's okay. This lecture that I attended back in February, where uh, it was, it intrigued me, you know, the description of the event. It was, uh, he was going to be speaking about ancestry and about our um, ancestors and archetypes specifically, and then some other stuff about lineages. And this particular man is a, uh, a religious scholar, and he also works with helping people explore their genetic ancestry and really and the spiritual tradition of their genetic ancestry. So I was intrigued. I was curious. And I was like, okay, cool. And I was reading his little bio and he's, um, it sounded interesting and noteworthy enough. So I went to this lecture and, uh, and as he's introducing himself and he's talking, I'm, I'm noticing in the room, I was like, wow, I can feel all these deities, all these beings and ancestors that he called in. So I knew he was in the medicine for sure. He was, you know, at least enough so that he could fill the room with all these beings and have it be tangible to me because I'm very sensitive of that kind of thing. So in my, in my mind, that was a mark of like, okay, he has done work around it. He had a couple of ideas that I really resonated with. I don't need to go into that here. The part that really pissed me off about this particular person is that he was speaking, he was a white man, a very well-educated man with multiple degrees. Um, I think he had multiple masters even, who had traveled the world exploring different religious and spiritual traditions. He was, he had studied Zen Buddhism. He was, um, uh, you know, speaking about his experiences in college and how obnoxious he was to all his friends because he was so excited about Zen Buddhism and trying to get everyone really excited about it. And then also he was an initiate of Yoruba, speaking of Yoruba. And, you know, so he had been to that area. He had been to Nigeria or um, to Yoruba land and had received teachings, received an initiation into Yoruba. And the whole time I was hearing him speak, he was talking about, um, you know, first of all, I was kind of making mental note of like, wow, you probably come from a lot of money, like no judgment there, but you probably do. The fact that went to all these really prestigious schools and have multiple degrees from prestigious schools and have also traveled the world to study with these different groups of people. Like there's probably a lot of family money involved. Yeah, exactly. Like, and again, no judgment there, but just kind of noticing, okay, you're white, you're a guy, you probably have a lot of money. You've spent a lot of time in ivory tower situations surrounded by academia. So noticing this is where he's coming from, right? And he's speaking, I'm getting more and more pissed off because he's talking just the feeling of it. He's all up here. He's all in his brain and everything he's saying is intellectualized and really academic and about the study of the lineages and about like, this is the way that you have to do it again, really dogmatic and rigid in the way that he's communicating. And so I'm feeling there, I'm just getting more and more like I'm hot and I'm like, I have to take off my, my sweater because I'm like sweating from just how much I'm being kind of upset by this person who it felt to me as though I was like, where is the heart behind what you're doing? Where is the, the communication with spirit behind what you're doing? Everything that he was sharing, somebody else had told him 
or he had read somewhere or somebody else had specifically taught him. It didn't feel as though he was sharing anything from personal experience and it bugged me. So eventually, you know, kind of instigator that I am, I raised my hand during the question portion. He's taking questions from other people and there I am like, me, call on me. And so I ask him, I don't remember exactly what I said, but I asked him, where do you find, um, and I, I may have said something about, you know, I'm a spiritual mentor or whatever. And something I really encourage with my students is the intuitive investigation of your spiritual practice first, because that's you forming your direct relationship with spirit, your direct relationship with your ancestors, with these beings, these guides who want to come through you, and then following it up with the academic investigation, following it up with finding the teachers and finding the appropriate resources to honor that lineage and that tradition. And, but first round, you know, have your own experience and then round it out. You know, just like I tell people who ask me, what's this crystal for? I say, ask the crystal, have the crystal tell you, and then come back and ask me, and then maybe go read about it later. But don't go straight to the book and read about it because that's immediately cutting you off from that intuition, from that connection straight from source. So I asked him this question, where is that intersection of the intuitive and the academic pursuit of a spiritual practice? And he shut me down. I mean, of course, right? He shut me down about, he basically called me irresponsible for encouraging, I know, for encouraging my students to have an intuitive exploration of their spiritual practice. And uh, not in so many words, but um, implied accusing me of um, of appropriating practices and said that that's a really good way to um, to be basically thieving from different traditions and how and he would never dare. This is another thing he said. I would never dare to come in to um, to call in the ancestors without being trained by somebody in Yoruba. For example, I'm going to do it exactly the way they taught me. Oh, this is another thing I forgot to mention to you, but he said, mm -hmm. you know, since this is exactly what I was taught, I would never dare to improvise. He actually threw that word in there too. And so I'm sitting there just immediately like, wow, okay. Good job. You know, like you're, you're an academic. I thought academics were supposed to be open-minded to people asking questions that challenge their viewpoint. You know, first of all, I was disappointed in him from that perspective of like, you just, you know, shut me down straight up. Second of all, his poor clients, the people who are working with him, who he's, he's telling, like I can pretty much guarantee the way he was treating the room. He was really specifically telling people, this is the way that you must do this thing. I'm a fan of, there are many paths to the top of the mountain. Like the way that I might indicate to you, it has a lot of flexibility in there because you are a different being from me. And so I, I share this story in order to, this is a, related to the piece of advice that I want to offer. Do the intuitive investigation <laughs> first, no matter what a certain academic scholar or any academic scholar or any re academic religious theologian might tell you, have your personal connection that is important, that is vital, because that's the life force from which a spiritual practice is born. Mm -hmm. That is the most important thing is your service to spirit. And of course, keeping in mind, you can always go back and mm -hmm. investigate. And I highly encourage that too, as you know, the second part of this is like, have your intuitive investigation, have your awakening experience, then go read about it, go find the teachers, go ask the people. But the very first, peace should be between you and spirit and nobody else that's my big piece of advice thanks michelle love that You're welcome. Mm -hmm.
Yeah. I think just a, a really quick, simple, you know, thing just to, honestly, a lot of this is just drawing awareness, right? It's just saying, hmm, interesting. What is my spiritual ancestry? What is my genetic ancestry? Where am I coming from? What maybe would like, you know, sitting and asking what would like to be healed within my lineage? You know, who is showing up for me as my guides? Um, and, you know, what's be curious. It's just, it's a, it's a really um, allowing a curiosity. And once we start making that inquiry, then you'll have uh, somebody show up in a dream. You'll have uh, something happen. You'll have a book fall, fall off the shelf at you. You'll have these things that come into your awareness, these synchronicities that start to happen just from making the inquiry around, okay, what is the work that needs to be done with my ancestors? What, what is this for me? Super simple. Yeah. Yeah. How about you? Any last piece of advice? Um, just sort of an image of always being in conversation with other entities. For example, if I wanted to know about you, Michelle, I would not go to an online resource when you yourself can tell me who you are. Mm -hmm. So sort of like a um, your your advice of letting an intuitive moment happen is crucial. And for me, that's crucial because all of this is an like these are entities that the, the called the invoking of an ancestor the ancestor has a desire the ancestor is not <laughs> like it's not a formula you know what i mean like there these things are have a, a life force that we ought to be respectful of, of and so um i think playing around with the conversation image for me has been helpful and recognizing that there are lots of different languages of of how all of these worlds mash up together and sometimes it's the language of intuition, sometimes it's the language of synchronicity, sometimes it's the language of, um, you know, a, a repeat refrain. I get a lot of like the same few words said over and over again in different settings. And I'm like, okay, that's a message. Mm -hmm. And so just sort of like maybe waking up one day and being like, I'm going to speak a different language today and see what, see what comes through where you start to get the goosebumps and start to feel a pull. Um, because it, I don't think it's complicated. I think, I think it's quite simple. You know, like there's a conversation happening and we can we can become aware of it. And so know that you can. And it's easier than we think. And it's easier than we think. Yeah. Thank God. God is give yourself permission. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. So beautiful. So do we have any any ending words that that anybody feels? I don't know. I feel like we could keep talking for a while, but we might yeah, as well keep talking for a while. Um, <laughs> keep going. Yeah. Anything? Anything that we, Tony? Anything that you're plugging? <laughs> anything that any way that that um, you know? I don't. I don't even know how how it. You know, if people work with you or or things like that. Anything that's that any talks you're giving or any any resources that you have for people that you wanted to share. Um, unfortunately, I'm a baby in this, in this walk of getting myself together in a way like this. I'm sort of um, just realizing what all of these awakenings mean for me as a worker in the world. So you can find me on Facebook. I'd be happy to stay in touch with folks. I'm, I'm more of a dialogical kind of person. So I would love to talk with people um, about anything that's come up uh, in the chat thread or 
mm-hmm. that comes up in the future. And as I get myself together in more uh, tangible ways, I'll, yeah, maybe yeah. I'll be back with you all or something. I don't know. Yeah. Can we also, because, um, you know, who knows my, who may be watching or listening, can we say that you're looking for a job? I am. I'm in the job search now. Mm-hmm. So I'd love to offer um, some medicine to the, that race and ethnic wound that exists here. I think um, that's a place where I can be very present. So I'm open to uh, facilitating workshops about um racial justice, anti-racism work. I am open to facilitating workshops about, uh, in this line of developing spiritual practices and um, finding an alignment with the way you're represented in the world as a person and how that matches your spiritual life. So um, if you have a a community circle, a church circle, uh, any kind of learning center, I'm happy to participate and facilitating in those ways, so. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Call me up. Slash, if you're putting on any, you know, I can attest to what a wonderful speaker Tony is. And I mean, obviously her presence here, Mm -hmm. um, having heard her offer her talk at Embrace Festival. So I know there are some people watching and tuning in who are involved in um, not only hosting community-based gatherings, but also putting on larger gatherings for, um, you know, for your clients, for your yeah, largely for your clients or for if you're hosting retreats or festivals or um, if you're hosting a conference even, um, Tony is a wonderful speaker and facilitator and, uh, you know, can speak at great length about all of these things that we've talked about today and so much more. So I would highly encourage you to stay in touch and reach out. Thank you. Thank you both for that. I don't ever think of that, so I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, well, we're the, you know, <laughs> we're on it. Michelle, do you have anything coming up? I'm moving in two weeks, so that's that's where a lot of my attention is going right now. I do, um, no. Okay. Uh, um, The women's conference. Oh, yeah. I'm speaking at a conference in October. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's called the Superwoman Summit. I will be giving a keynote talk on queens and kings, the royal archetypes of the divine feminine and masculine. So if you would love to hear this talk, uh, please contact me for a discount code and I will get you a discount code for a ticket for the conference. It is a three-day conference here in Portland focused on women's empowerment and uh, creating equality in the workplace and, um, and social justice in uh, in the feminine way. And I should say also everybody on the gender spectrum is totally welcome. There will be um, men speaking at this conference as well, non-binary folk. Um, everybody is welcome to attend this conference. It's not for women only. Mm-hmm. Superwoman Summit. So good. Yeah. How about uh, you, Kat? I am just launching my Light Warrior Mentorship Program again, which is my six-month group mentorship program, which is going to start in mid-October. And I am putting it out possibly today. I don't know. My website just went sideways. So, um, (laughs) I am hoping that I can get that fixed up and get it out today or tomorrow, but I am uh, really excited to see who's going to be joining me and coming into that container because it is a, a powerful transformative, um, process for healers and coaches and all those who guide to bring their work to the world and up level their skills and, and everything that, that, um, you know, is needed for support for this next up level in evolution and business and, and, uh, practice. So super excited. 
Um, thank you so much for joining us and, and um, being on the show. And we are uh, the Shaman Sisters. And you can reach out to us at shamansistersessions at gmail.com or on our Facebook page, Shaman Sister Sessions. Our, all of our prior episodes are on YouTube at the same name, Shaman Sister Sessions. We also have all of our prior, our prior episodes on iTunes and Stitcher. Those have just gone up. So if you would like to um, send us some love and support us, just going and like rating us amazing and uh, giving us a good review is very helpful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and subscribe to our iTunes channel, please. Uh, if you feel so called, because when we have more subscribers, we show up higher. And uh, it is our great joy to offer this work to you. This is something that Kat and I love to do anyway, is just sit and chat, invite in other amazing people to sit and chat with us. So thank you for um, for your continued participation in our Shaman Sister Sessions offering. If you feel called to donate to support us in this, we do have a donate button. Uh, that can be found on my website, joyofenergy.com, under the Shaman Sister Sessions page, if you'd like to offer us some financial support for this venture that we're doing. Other than that, if you feel called to work with Catherine or myself or Kat and myself together, um, again, also please do feel free to reach out to Tony. She is available to connect with you on Facebook. Her um, her link is in the event description, Tony Ann Reynolds. Thank you so much, Tony, for being Thank here you. with us today. It's such, such a joy to have you. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Yay. Bye. 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 Bye.